Welcome to We Got This Covered's Cinemaholics, the weekly movie review talk show where critics and fans finally unite to discuss the biggest and best films coming to theaters. We're not just fans, we're not just critics, we're Cinemaholics. Welcome once again to Cinemaholics, the official podcast of WeGotThisCovered.com. I am John Agroni from the Internet of California, and from the Internet of Pennsylvania, he is a pop culture writer for Cinema Blend. He's also a freelance writer for The Playlist, Cut Print Film, and many more. It is Will Ashton. Hey there. And you know what? We have somebody here. He's the host of our spinoff show. Anyway, that's all I got. Crashing the Cinemaholics party once again. It's <laughs> Sam Noland. Greetings, soldados. How is everyone today? Oh, Sam, we're just a couple of Sicarios <laughs> in a world of soldados, I think, because we're talking about it, Sicario Day of the Soldado on this episode. Isn't that the truth? It's going to be fascinating. Sam, it's great to have you on again. I don't know if we've ever done a review with you before. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there was there was that Clint Eastwood movie about the train in Paris. I talked about that for like two minutes. Well, so, uh, yeah, we did a last call, right? Or movies we haven't seen. No, and... he was on the Cloverfield episode. He was? Yeah. Oh, and so. the Cloverfield one, too. Boy, so, two movies I've tried to forget. Cloverfield Paradox. <laughs> I mean, I tr- I mean, I have forgotten so much about that movie. I'm not surprised I forgot about our conversation about it. So, I'm strangely not insulted by that. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember you were on our summer preview. That was a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. That, that was, was a good cool. time. Uh, well, we, like I said, we are going to be reviewing Sicario Day of the Soldado, the sequel to the 2015 kind of sleeper hit. It didn't make a ton of money, but uh, it was a movie that a lot of people remember and saw after the fact and talked about uh, f- for reasons that maybe we can have a part of our discussion. Uh, before we get to Sicario Day of the Soldado, uh, we've got a few off topics to get to, starting with, well, we have a new Anyway, that's all I got episode coming on Monday, a little bit later than usual. But Sam, you're here. You can actually break down what you're going to be talking about on that next episode and what people can be excited about. Oh, well, thank you, John. I will I will take the reins. Um, yes. So this uh, for for reasons that we'd rather not get into right now, uh, this episode is coming out a couple of days late. Um, it should this is going out on Sunday, right? Well, I, th- I think we said Monday, and the reasons are very Monday, simple. We right. just didn't want to release two bonus episodes within so close to each other. <laughs> that was all it was. Yes. But this is our monthly because, crossover. Because somebody forgot to oh, yeah. uh, take that into account. But I, uh, I am so sorry, Sam. I, 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 let, I let you down <laughs> a little bit there, yeah. It's all right. We I think we needed a little bit of a break. Um, but we will be back on Monday, and as such, what we're going to be doing... Uh, what we've been doing a lot recently is every time a big franchise movie comes out, which is pretty much every week at this time of the summer, um, we we like to sort of take a look at said franchise, um, and we'll go through each uh, we'll go through each movie chronologically, building up to the most recent release. Like we did the uh, we talked about all nineteen installments of the MCU when Infinity War came out. And uh, what else do we do? We talked about all the Star Wars movies, all mm, 14 of them, because there are 14, uh, according to us. There are some uh, surprises, yeah. Some movies you forgot that came out in theaters and were Star Wars movies. The Holiday Special and the Ewok movies and the Clone Wars animated movie counts. And mm-hmm. so those those were all fair game. 
Um, and we and in our weirdest curveball, we talked about all five Oceans movies back when Oceans Eight came out. Uh, I say that like it was months and months ago. It was just a <laughs> yeah. few weeks ago. However long ago, when anyway, that's oh. all I got was just a young sapling of a podcast. <laughs> Boy, those were the days. And then this week, or I suppose last week at this point, uh, is when Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom came out. The fifth movie in the coveted Jurassic franchise. <laughs> coveted, so, like the filmmakers are coveting like a movie that is, does as well as the first one? That, that was... Yeah, I was sort of insinuating that, so mm. I'm glad that I wasn't. I wasn't sure you... if that was the intention. It cleared up. No, it was absolutely the intention. Yes, it's, there have been five of them so far, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna grit our teeth and try to talk about all of them. And it it goes downhill pretty fast. So I think, not to give too much away, but in my opinion, I think this might be the worst franchise, mm. uh, just collectively that we've talked about. Um, but that that will be on our show. It's uh, that's a bold statement. Me, me and my Sam. two friends. Oh, I don't know if well, I can let that go. We, well, we've only done a few, so it's not like there's a whole bunch of like. It's not like yeah. we've done the Highlander franchise or something. I don't know. I you know we'll have to we'll have to continue discussing this in a in a format that is more uh, civil. Yes, yes. Yeah. I'll have to hear civil. your take about yeah. I guess I guess it's just so hard to. I, I don't know. I think all of them are a little bit of fun and. I don't know. I'll, I'll hear. Oh, I'll it's a fun to. franchise. I just don't think it, many of them are that good. Well, yeah, yeah. But okay, that's coming out Monday. It's Monday. Monday. And so uh, by the time you're listening to this, it won't be long. You'll be able to hear the entire Jurassic Park breakdown. And uh, like we mentioned, uh, we had a bit of a scheduling conflict. And the reason for that is because we had a bonus episode uh, this past week. Uh, it's uh, still up, obviously, on our feed. If you haven't had a chance to check it out, it is uh, a bonus episode for a new podcast called Inside Jaws. Uh, you'll be able to listen to Will and I talk about Jaws for a couple of minutes and then hear a preview of the first episode. Pretty pretty worth checking out. Um, I, I had a few people... Uh, I got some feedback on it, and some people are like are pretty hooked on the show. I don't know if you guys have had a chance. Well, have you have you listened to any of the? Well, I think you did listen to the first episode, right? Well, yeah, I, I listened to what you sent me, and that was pretty great. So I've been looking forward to checking out the rest. I I highly recommend the first two episodes are up now, and uh, I'm really looking forward to the third one. And uh, I told Sam he needs to listen to it because it's. Uh, I, ha- I, fe- I Sam, I just have a feeling you're going to appreciate the the narrative about uh, Spielberg's kind of like youth, like how he grew into movies and how he would sneak onto the universal set. And like, he became an employee just kind of by force of will. (laughs) Um, I think, I think you'll appreciate that Uh, since you're kind of like his age when he was like going through this time in life. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? Little teaser. (laughs) Yeah. Do you have something to tell us, Sam, about (laughs) Uh, what, maybe what movie maybe you're working on time traveler or mm. something so yeah that's our inside jaws bonus episode and uh, uh we did have somebody ask where maverick is maverick is he's been taking <laughs> a break he's been uh, he was in seattle for like like two weeks or something he's out of town next week uh he's just he's just been like way more social and outgoing than us but he's coming back um for sure but next week we actually he's not gonna be able to come back next week like i said but uh, i believe we're gonna have um because will you're gonna be out of town so i'm gonna I have am, two yeah, guests on in tennessee tennessee you you're gonna be in the internet tennessee and i know they have internet there so um, yeah but i didn't want to lug all this podcast 
Oh no, <laughs> I just meant the internet, Tennessee. But yeah, um, yeah, I want to be a free man, Tennessee. That's right. You'll roam in the land. <laughs> you're getting you're getting another week off. You deserve it. Uh, but while you're gone, um, to talk about Ant Man and the Wasp, and we'll talk, we'll get to that later actually, because you saw Ant Man and the Wasp, so we're doing that for mini That's reviews. Right. Uh, I think we're going to be having on, unless something changes, uh, Kimber Myers and Alicia Grosso are coming back, and they're going to be doing an episode with me. So that's going to be a fun mix of the hosts, and that'll be a good time. Oh, definitely, yes. I mean, I'm looking forward to being on the listener side again, and they are great guests, and I think they would have much more valuable things to say than I would, so I'm looking See, forward to that. It but... sounds like you feel left out, Will. I don't, I don't no. Blame you. <laughs> I am, no, no, I'm being 100% sincere. I think they yeah, yeah. are both great, and I think they, I mean... They know way more about movies than I do, so they're good. So humble, so humble. Okay, well, a uh, couple more off topics before we move on to the featured review. Uh, really just clarific- a big clarification. So last week we mentioned the uh, Star Wars movies being put on hold. Well, the standalone spinoff ones. And we actually, we had a brief conversation with Jake Holland about this, about like maybe there's going to be, like, what does this mean for the Boba Fett movie? We kind of made it sound like it's not going to happen. But so I just wanted to clarify quickly because Disney and Lucasfilm did the Boba Fett movie that's being directed by James Mangold is apparently happening after all. So just wanted to, you know, put that out there. So we don't we don't want to be known as a podcast that spreads misinformation again. Um, So there's that. I I still feel the same way about it. I don't really have anything to say until, okay. well, tell us what the movie's going to be. And then I'll let you know what I think. Right, Will? Yeah, I mean, I'm of the I'm of the mind that I think he is probably if they're gonna make this movie, he's probably the best person for it. But at the same time, I'm wondering if they're gonna let him do his thing, or if they're just gonna fire him mm. and make their own movie, which they've done two times now. So we'll see. Well, I mean, rumor has it that they saw Logan and were like, well, maybe they could do James Mangold could direct Boba Fett. I think they saw Copland and they were like, whoa, 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 Boba Fett movie with Sylvester Stallone and. Let's make it happen. Yeah, because comic book apps... Or wait, I'm sorry. It's Star Wars, not comics. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. There are Star Wars comics, Well, You were close. It's true, yeah. Uh, speaking of comics, uh, there was a, one of the biggest stories that came out this week that I do want to mention because it affects our Cinemaholics lives. Uh, DC Universe streaming is has just been announced and like well okay so we've known for a while that dc is going to be doing like a digital streaming service where they're going to be offering like original shows i don't know if you guys like the shows like young justice for example but we've been hearing news for a long time about like a teen titan show uh we've been hearing about um uh oh gosh there's like there's i think the doom patrol is having like their own thing um a bunch of new series. There's a Swamp Thing one, which I'm excited about. Harley Quinn is getting her own because people love Harley Quinn. Um, but that said, DC Universe has like been announced to be more than just like these original shows. Um, it's going to have like movies and stuff, so you'll be able to watch like the DC Universe movies, uh, a lot of the animated movies. Which I think we've talked about animated movies on this show before, like. Uh, I, I'm always like the lone, the lone voice of like, hey, I saw Teen Titans versus Justice League, and everyone <laughs> on the show is like, that's great, John. That's <laughs> we're really happy for you. Um, but no, uh, they're also adding, they're also adding comics to this streaming service, uh, so you'll be able to read like a huge library of DC comics, and they're going to have all kinds of tools, um, not just archiving 
the the comics, but also classic DC movies, like I said, and classic DC TV shows, like the animated Batman series. And it's all going to be kind of connected. They're kind of calling it like a DC encyclopedia, where you know, if you you have there's forums, there's merchandise, you can like what you can read the comics and try to follow along with certain stories that have been adapted. Uh, what do you guys think about this? I mean, this is pretty, pretty extensive. I know Sam, you're not really that into, I think the superhero stuff, but so as somebody who's probably a little bit more objective than I am, who absolutely loves a lot <laughs> of these properties, uh, does this sound like a good idea to you to have like all of this stuff in one streaming service? Oh, uh, well, I mean, it, it doesn't sound like the worst idea. Um, I've I've heard, I don't know how true this is or if this is happening. I've heard that Disney is uh, developing their own streaming service that's going to have, like, yeah. everything they've ever made. And so it feels like this is going to be kind of a similar thing. And so I think um, if you're into it, then I imagine it sounds like a really good idea. Uh, I'm not opposed to it or anything, but... Probably not for me, honestly. That's I'm glad you said that, though, because now that you mention it, like, it's yet another streaming service that, like, we have to pay money <laughs> yeah. for. But do you think it's worth it? Like, does this sound worth it to you, Will? Like, let's say it's, like, $10 a month or something like that. It's probably going to be more, actually, like 15 um, Yeah. Or if not more than that. What do you think? Uh, for me, personally, probably not. I mean, I, I do love the DC universe. I mean, I, I have grown up on that more, but I don't know if I really need another streaming service in my life. I already have up to like three or five. So I don't know. I'm, I'm worried that every company is trying too hard to have streaming services. I don't know if I need to spend 15 bucks just to get my DC fix. Yeah, this sounds like something that only someone who just is terrible with money and just wants to watch everything would really enjoy so i'll be getting this um also it's only in the u.s so that's kind of a downside yeah okay i would i would honestly pay this because i love i love dc comics i i am a little whatever about like reading these comics digitally because i really love going to comic book stores but my life's so busy these days that i haven't been going to comic book stores anyway so maybe this is uh the ticket and then if i really love something then i'll actually go to a comic book store support it and then buy the actual comic uh if it's available like some of the newer uh things so i don't know i i'm i'm curious about it i want to see more and i'm i don't know about you guys but i'm such a huge fan of young justice i can't wait to see the new season uh, i think it's such a wonderful show and i'm interested in titans i think it's it's a live action sh- uh, teen titans thing and it, it's not the teen titans go to the movies or any of that stuff it's actually like a serious <laughs> take on those characters which uh, i'm totally for because i mean i i grew up watching the teen titans animated show and i never really liked the comics all that much but uh yeah, this could be something definitely for me. It doesn't sound like something you guys are all that into, but that's fine. <laughs> I mean, I'm an easy sell. <laughs> Maybe I'll, if they convince me, I'll share yeah. my password with you. We'll just okay. that, that's the thing is that if it's like if, if it's your thing, then of course it's worth it. Um, and if you're gonna, you know, if you're interested in uh, letting your investment pay off, like the only. Uh, I think the only streaming service I'm subscribed to at the moment is Filmstruck, and I watch that all the time. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it's not even a question of whether or not it's worth it. Do you not have Netflix? So? Oh, yeah, I do. I don't pay for that, though. Somebody else oh, okay. does. <laughs> yeah, so he, he gamed the system. I um, see. Well, that's what I'm wondering if time. that's going to happen. Like, if there's so many streaming services, are people just going to be like, okay, I'll let you use my DC streaming service oh, if you give me the Hulu happening. password? That's already What's happening that? with me, except in my case, I have all the streaming services and I give them out to people. Okay, yeah. but I just feel like 
for most people, that's going to be like they're probably just going to have one or two services, and everyone's just going to have to like copy off one another, and that's like the trading system. Is that going to be if I have this and you give yeah. me your password for that, then we're square. It's Some better sort than of streaming service black market. <laughs> it's yeah. better than cable because you couldn't do that with cable or satellite. Or I mean, like it's that. not illegal, no, but it's frowned upon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it is a way for us to get around uh, some of the limitations of there's just too many. And if you want to watch something, it, it can be so difficult. Like I just had to do the uh, on Amazon Prime the Cinemax thing because I really wanted to watch a Monster Calls, and it was much cheaper to like just do the Cinemax like addition or add on to your Amazon Prime video than it was to rent it. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I, I I'm all for a DC Universe streaming thing. And the funny thing is, if it was a Marvel Universe streaming, I probably wouldn't be into it just because. I love way more of the DC stuff um, from comics to shows and uh, not really all the movies, but like of the DC movies, I do like, I already own them, but there are so many really good DC animated movies out there that are expensive. Like, and I own a bunch, but like, there's a few that I've just never gotten to see. There's a bunch on Netflix too. And it's kind of my thing. I recognize that they're not very, a lot of them aren't very good. Uh, I'm talking about the ones that are like, justice league war uh i mentioned one earlier justice the justice league teen titans ones it's really good animation for the most part and uh but sometimes the writing isn't super great and every time i watch one of them it reminds me of like what the live action dc movies could be so it's actually a little depressing (laughs) in that regard but okay that's enough dc talk um we had one other off topic uh i I feel like this one was important to bring up Uh, it, it would have been uh, doing the listeners a disservice if we didn't, just because a lot of people listening to the show know my background in film, and it's it's very much rooted in Pixar, the animation studio. We just had an, uh, an episode a few weeks ago talking about Incredibles two, and uh, you know we've mentioned on the show before some of the controversy uh, happening at Pixar in the workplace uh, regarding John Lasseter, and uh, he was the chief creative officer of Walt Disney Animation Studios overseeing Pixar as well and he was one of he was part of the brain trust you know he was a guy who was responsible for a lot of the Pixar movies we have today I uh, started off I believe as an animator in the late 80s uh, I've seen him speak live uh, you know I used to really look up to this guy and not that long ago it came out that he was part of uh, a lot of inappropriate behavior on his part with uh, female employees at Pixar, um, something happened that hasn't been fully specified, where uh, we don't really know the details yet, but it was so bad that Pixar is permanently removing him from the company. Um, he w- went on sabbatical last fall. It's all part of the Me Too movement. Uh, if you want more details on that, you can read up on it. Um, a lot of websites have covered it extensively. But basically, he's he's out at Pixar at the end of 2018. They kept him on, which I don't think was the right move, uh, to consult on Toy Story 4 before that movie comes out. Um, and Pete Docter is going to be replacing him. Uh, Jennifer Lee is going to be overseeing Walt Disney Animation Studios. If you remember, she directed Frozen, and uh, she's been uh, very instrumental in Disney animation success these last few years. And Pete Docter, of course, he's the director of Inside Out, and he also did Up, worked on Monsters, Inc. He is one of the one, one of the best. I, I, I think, uh, Sam, the, you, you did the Brad Bird episode last week, and I read yep. some of the comments on that episode, and I think <laughs> I think at least one person brought up that Pete Docter was their favorite Pixar director. 
I think that. so, yeah. With that, at the end of every show, I like to just randomly throw in just a little side question. Uh, sometimes it doesn't even get answered, which I'm fine with. This one has gotten like seven responses already, and it's 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 interesting. It's interesting to see like what uh, what inspires people to answer a question. And so this is clearly one of them. Uh, if you'll notice, no one has said Andrew Stanton yet. Which so. is interesting. I, I think he is a natural choice. But regardless, that's not kind of not what this off-topic is about. We're off-topic oh, from I, the off-topic. Um, that's right. The reason I bring that's this up, and I think the reason people <laughs> answer that question, is because they love Pixar. Um, especially on, on my site, it's kind of a big thing. But we're hearing more about problems uh, in Pixar's workplace. Uh, I wrote up a piece on the young folks about a former Pixar employee uh, named Cassandra Smolchik. I think that's how you pronounce her name. She wrote a guest column on Variety. There's there's something longer too, but just detailing some serious, seriously messed up and troubling accounts of sexual harassment at Pixar that show that this isn't just a problem with John Lasseter. This was something mm-hmm. that kind of trickled down from him to other men in leadership. She I mean, it is harrowing to read this. She was a graphic designer, uh, and she tells story after story of like men kind of using their power to leer at her. She puts it, um, not allowing her to like rise up the ranks compared to her male colleagues. Um, just really messed up and frankly sexist behaviors. A lot of harassment. Uh, eventually, she says that it it kind of forced her out of the industry, and she's just now kind of finding her avenue to speak out about this. It's, it's very sad and it's, it's very, it, it's heartbreaking to me because, you know, I believe all of this. Uh, I, I think that we're going to hear more uh, stories about this in, in the coming months and um, deservedly so, rightfully so. And it, it just, you know, Pixar used to be the place where it was like people's dream jobs. It still is for a lot of people because a lot of people don't know about this or if they know about the John Lasseter thing, they're kind of chalking it up to an isolated incident. And, now this pl- Pixar, this place that like it's in Emeryville, California. It's it's kind of like a progressive beacon of like, you know, it, it's it's a sort of job you look at and like that's a place to go where you there's imagination. It's it's positive. It's collaborative. This is this is the the place where Ed Catmull wrote a whole book called Creativity Inc. about how he built up a company that produces these positive and encouraging movies and to find out that this was going on and that they didn't do anything about it, that it's now coming out because employees are speaking out and that they're continuing to try to like downplay it. It just really infuriates me. And it, it's something that I think we need to hear more about. We need to hear more reporting about. And this could honestly sink Pixar if they don't figure this out. In my opinion, I think, uh, I think elevating Pete doctor was a positive step. I think, uh, and in Di- Walt Disney's case, Jennifer Lee, but that way more needs to be done. Um, this culture that Smolchik is describing is just so disturbing, and like it, it's it, part of what makes it disturbing is that it's not surprising. It's just surprising that it's happening there. Um, she calls it an an unofficial boys' club casting system, where you know you really get the sense that uh, you know because of her gender, because because of like the way she looks. Um, she wasn't able to, her ideas weren't able to get out there. And it's a complicated thing. I know a lot of people are going to listen to this and like, well, you, you just talked about Domi Shi, who she was a story artist, she was an intern, and now she's working on a Pixar film. They listen to her pitches. It's not something that I think is like, 
I think it is a complicated issue. There's a nuance to it. Um, a lot of like Domi Shi worked with Pete Doctor specifically, which is why I think him being put into uh, a leadership position gives me hope. But uh, I, I do think that this needs to be looked at as a deep systemic problem in Pixar that needs to be rooted out. And if it doesn't, uh, you know, I think Pixar needs to take a long, long, hard look at itself as a company. But I, I kind of ranted off there. I'm really sorry. Uh, I just, you know, it, it just it as somebody who like Pixar is kind of the thing that kind of like launched my my career. I, I just can't help but feel um like they've really let us down, and uh, I don't know. Did, is, did you guys want to add anything to that, Will? I I don't really have much else to say. I I mean I don't know what else I can add. I mean it's just I mean like I said before, it's just disappointing to hear. I mean obviously we both come from a place where we love Pixar, and to know that this is going on in a company you love, and especially because Pixar, I guess now we know it's just like a PR thing where we kind of had this idyllic mentality where it was like oh this place is thriving with creativity and they're always inviting new voices and exploring new ideas and to know that this is going on it's just disheartening i mean it's really just disappointing to hear and i'm hoping they're taking baby steps to remove themselves from this i mean it's good that we're getting to know this only in a sense that they can alleviate the problem hopefully but we don't know i mean we're coming from an outside perspective i don't i mean i'm hoping things are getting better now i mean we don't know but yeah, I mean, just to hear this is going on in a place that I've known, you know, most of my life and just have appreciated their work throughout my life is just really disappointing to hear. Yeah, I mean, Pixar movies are the reason you and I met, you know, because yeah. like, it was like the first thing that we talked about, um, something sure. you wrote about Pixar movies. And I yeah. don't think we would have ever been Cinemaholics co-hosts otherwise. So it's like... Right. Obviously, Pixar has done a lot of positive in the world. It's not like we should just, you know, no. forget. And yeah. It's not as if we should disparage every little thing that they've done, but they need to be under some intense scrutiny. And we can be a huge help in amplifying this scrutiny so that things change, so that people can work there and feel safe working there. And they can actually, you know, they can invite those those voices, those diverse voices, and uh, it can actually change for the better. And so when these new movies come out in a few years, these like three or four original movies in a row, they can actually be good, you know? Um, did mm-hmm. you have anything about that, Sam? Uh, no, not really. I think you're, you're, a, you're pretty much, you're exactly right about everything. And I regret sort of trying to distract from the topic because this does need to be talked about. Um, oh, I didn't think you were distracting from it. I think you were fleshing out your opinion and it was very informative. Perhaps, perhaps. But uh, I, I do feel that, I mean, of course, it, it's, a, it's a shame that any of this was even like, even happened in the first place. Um, thank God it's all starting to be turned around at this point. And, and who knows how much more there is that we don't know about even just this story itself. Right. Um, I hope that's true. I hope it really is turning around, but um, okay, time to move on. Um, and if anybody, else, if you guys want to continue this conversation, uh, use the comments. We'll be talking about it with you in the comments about, um, I, th- I haven't really done anything on my column about this story yet because I've been doing it for other outlets, but uh, in this episode uh, of Cinemaholics, you can do that there and we'll we'll engage with you if you have any questions, if you have any concerns, or if you have anything you think we should be aware of that we, we kind of missed in this conversation, let us know. But okay, uh, that's it for our off-topics. Let's get into our featured review 
for Sicario Day of the Soldado. And uh, I get it. The, the Pixar thing was kind of a mood killer, but it's not as if we're about to talk about a happy-go-lucky movie here. <laughs> um, this is a new movie from Sony, and uh, it stars Josh Brolin and Benicio Del Toro. As I mentioned at the outset, it is the sequel to the first movie, just Sicario. This one is translated literally as Hitman Day of the Soldiers. So that's something. Uh, it's once again written by Taylor Sheridan, but my goodness, the the team, the creative team around this, you know, I, I don't want to disparage them, but they, it really is a step down um, in quality from the cinematographer from the last one was, of course, Roger Deakins. He's one of our one of the best cinematographers in the business. Replaced here with Darius Wolski, who kind of is more of a workman-like cinematographer. You know, he's he's done all kinds of movies uh some of them pretty good some of them like i think he did prometheus and then i think that was like one of the one things i kind of liked about prometheus was the cinematography at least um and but everything like a bunch of ridley scott movies he did the pirates of the caribbean movies i I think his most recent was uh all the money in the world i want to say and he's a he's a good cinematographer but obviously he's no deacons um and denis villeneuve of course directed the first sicario he went on to do blade runner 2049 he went on to do arrival some movies that i think all three of us enjoy and this this new director is an italian filmmaker stefano salima who i've I've never seen anything that he's worked on have you guys i don't don't believe believe so would you mind sharing what he's worked on yeah, uh, all I know that he's done is ACAB, Sabura, and the Gamora TV series, which I'm not sure what any of those things are. So, the Gamora well, I've heard about the Gamora series? TV show, but I haven't watched it. <laughs> I, I heard it was pretty good. I've never heard of it. Uh, it, it made me think of Guardians of the Galaxy. But yeah, is that not Zoe Saldana from from uh, Guardians? <laughs> she should have her own. I guess it's like it's supposed to be Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Because that's the well, no, I think it's based on that film from a couple years ago at least oh uh, okay okay well if i'm not mistaken i'll look it up now uh yeah i'll assume you're correct there but uh okay uh, it, it definitely is a different team here um emily blunt isn't back this time around so we kind of had an, a few interesting cards on the table and i kind of want to start with you sam noland um oh yeah, i see yeah. what you're doing here john shuffling the, shuffling the deck <laughs> Uh, Sicario right. de Soldado. Uh, what did you think of the first Sicario? And uh, what did you think of this one? Uh, the first Sicario, I I think, is a pretty damn good movie. Um, it if I'm the youngest of the three of us, so it, it actually it took me I two maybe three viewings um, to really sink my teeth into it. Um, but every time I watch it, it just keeps revealing more and more of itself. And, uh, I think it's a really brilliant movie about where we are right now as a country and just why we're going nowhere. And I think it's really, really solid. Um, I think Villeneuve is probably my favorite working director today. I know that's kind of a bold statement, but I'm surprised it's um, not Christopher Nolan. Yeah, Nolan Nolan's up there. Um but I I have not been as um satisfied recently as I have with uh Villeneuve. I think I've seen every single one of his movies, even the weird ones from like 1996. And um I think uh I forget he's either done 9 or 10 movies and I think every single one of them except for one is a success. Wow. And so when when Sicario is uh, one of your somewhat lesser 
uh, movies, and it's still really, really good. That's the sign of a of a really solid filmmaker. So what's I really the, dig the first Sicario a lot. What's the one that you don't like then? If you don't mind me asking, it's it's a weird one. It's uh, Villeneuve actually started in the '90s. He did a movie in 1996 called August 32nd on Earth, which is sort of like an indie, uh, sort of quirky rom com ish kind of thing. That one's pretty good. I it's like, like that one. It's like a French Canadian film, isn't it? It is, yeah. About this couple who uh, lives in Canada and they fly to the salt flats in Utah for reasons i won't get into but I suffice I to say, seeing this one and he wrote it too right yeah you you mentioned to me one time that you had seen it and you yeah. said you, you said you remember liking it um i i it's, do it's kind of like I, I it was one of those movies that like i dug into just because of Villeneuve, but it was like a long time ago but i remember a lot about this movie weirdly enough yeah it's it's really out. it's really quirky it's really abstract um it's uh what some people might describe as hipster, even though it was made over 20 years ago. Yeah. Uh, that's sort of the vibe of it. But I really, I dig that one. Uh, the one after that came out two, maybe three years later, and it's called Maelstrom, which I think is his only failure as a movie. Mm-hmm. It's, I couldn't tell you a thing about the plot. All I remember is that it's really strange and really abstract uh, it's a story told by a series of fish heads getting uh, beheaded. So that's the kind of that's the kind of movie you're in for. Um, it's it's sort of I don't know if either of you, this is a weird weird reference, um, but are either of you familiar with Kirstoff Kieslowski? Directed the Decalogue and the Three Colors trilogy um, and the Double Life of Veronique among others, and. Uh, a uh, big Polish director, one of the most one of the most popular among cinephiles like myself. Oh yeah, Decalogue and is like hugely, hugely popular movie with cinephiles. That's is like amazing. That's like it's, a, the eighties it, well, film. It's, it's technically ten movies. It's ten one-hour movies, each one based around one of the Ten Commandments. Um, it's on Criterion, it, I think. I think that's where I've it seen is. It. Yeah, it, it's got a wonderful uh, Blu-ray. Came out just last year, but I digress. Maelstrom, sort of like that, and that's his only success. Everything else since then, uh, he actually took a break for nine years after that and came back with Polytechnic, which is criminally underseen, uh, followed by Incendies and then Enemy and Prisoners. Uh, what came next? Sicario, Arrival, Blade Runner 2, and then he, and now he's doing Dune. He's on a hitting streak. Uh, let him do whatever. I don't <laughs> care. Uh, so I dig the first Sicario quite a bit, and... And here's where we get into uh, some some more of the juicy information of this review, I, I imagine. Uh, I actually dug the second one quite a bit. Um, mm. I know I... <laughs> <laughs> this, me, me and John were talking the other day about... Because uh, we agree on a lot of things. But we were talking about what are some of the biggest uh, disagreements we've had. And we could only think of a couple... I think this might be one of them now. Uh, yeah, I think our most infamous is Interstellar. I was going to say, yeah, I think that was the only one I've heard you two really uh, bicker it out about. <laughs> Which even that one is not that hostile, right? Yeah, well, we've never been hostile about any of these things. Um, uh, not yet. But you like this one. All right, well, well tell us, tell us, uh, I, I didn't, you know, I forgot to mention, like, what it's about. I mean, can you give us, like, a, just a little synopsis? I mean, well, how does this pick up from the first? Uh, well, that's the thing is that it, it's, 
sort of uh, it feels more like a spinoff than a sequel or that that's the wrong way to put it. It's a sequel, but it's not really too connected to the first one. There's there's a couple of um, callbacks and references. I totally <clears throat> agree me, with but, that. Actually, you can watch this movie without ever seeing the first Sicario. I don't recommend it, but you can. For the most part, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I th- this movie. I, I believe if you want to get the full enjoyment out of it, the way I did, um, it does help to have seen the first one. But for the most part, yes, you can watch this one without having seen the first one and still have more or less the same experience i feel can i can uh, i quickly interject i disagree yeah, yeah. heartily i think if you've never seen the first one and you don't plan on it and you really for whatever reason you're like i got to see sicario day the soldado there's nothing else to see this sunday <laughs> just watch it because like for me all i could think about is like man the first one's so much better than this done with my interjection please continue no, that that's a valid point. And you might be right, because I have no idea what it's like to watch this one by itself. But as I was watching it, I, I was I was trying to imagine not having seen the first one. And uh, I couldn't imagine it being too different, but I don't know. So uh, you might be right about that. And uh, in as for the as for the whole um, comparing it to the first one, um listeners of mine will know that I usually when I when I see a sequel that's sort of the thing I try not to think about because I feel like that's sort of that's sort of the easiest way to criticize a sequel is just by saying the original is better like a lot of times the original is better um I try to separate it as much as possible I just try to sort of look at just the events of the first one um, or what it made me feel, just know that going in and apply it to the movie. It's a sequel, so it makes sense. Um, I try not to judge too often. It'll happen occasionally, but that's that's not really my uh, my criticism style. Um, but I do get what, what you're coming from, and I do like the first one a lot better, to be clear. So we're at least we're in agreement on that. Um, but as for a as for a synopsis, so what happens is that. I believe what was it Kansas City is that what it is? Yeah, it's like a supermarket or like a big box store in Kansas City. It's like the second opening scene. There's like two yeah, prologues to this. Th- there's a couple, but the the big thing that happens is that um there's a there's a bombing in a in like a department store in Kansas City uh like a half dozen bombs go off and uh the Secretary of Defense played by Matthew Modine says we think it's we suspect the Mexican cartels, and so let's go at them and uh, enlist Josh Brolin, who returns from the first movie. Sort of this, sort of this FBI, um, CIA, CIA. My bad, uh, CIA uh, enforcer. I always get the two mixed up. Yeah, he's a and, CIA guy with cargo shorts. Yes, well, that I I actually believe it or not have a point about that, but uh, we'll get to that later. Mm-hmm. Um, and enlists uh, oh, what's his name Alejandro who uh, returns yeah. Alejandro Gillick yeah. Alejandro Gillick Benicio del Toro returning from the first one to help him out with that, and they essentially want to start a war among the cartels so that they will essentially leave the U.S. alone. Um, it's just as political as it sounds and that's sort of that's sort of like the first act do you should i 
stop there? Do you think it's necessary to go any further? Yeah, yeah. I think that, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll fill out some other gaps there. But that's a good way to start. I should also mention um, Catherine Keener plays kind of the, the go-between for the Secretary of Defense um, and uh, Josh Brolin's character. We'll, we'll talk a little bit more about the plot. We don't want to spoil too much. But uh, so, so you said you like this one. I'm going to come back yes. to you because I want to hear okay. more details, obviously. Um, <laughs> and uh, oh, I didn't mention did Jeffrey Donovan uh, comes back in this movie. I was not expecting to see him again, but uh, he's a guy from yeah, that was, notice. that was a nice surprise. Yeah, yeah. Isabel uh, Bonaire <laughs> plays a young young girl who kind of gets caught uh, in it's kind of like a Yojimbo style uh, plot that happens later in the movie that's exactly the comparison i was gonna make we yeah i the mean same page right well that's the thing is that you can <laughs> kurosawa was just like he create he created a lot of his own mess um so will ashton where are you at with this movie um uh, we we've talked a lot already but i feel like we just haven't really gotten to the meat of this yet uh where are you at with uh day of the soldado uh well i'll start with my thoughts on sicario um, oh yes of course i felt so I have only seen Sicario once. I was going to try to rewatch it, but I didn't get a chance. Um, I remember Sicario 1 was a movie I really appreciated on an aesthetic level, but it did leave me a bit cold. I know a lot of people really enjoy the film, but something about it just kind of felt off to me. And I was trying to figure out what it was while I was watching the sequel. And I think it was that, from what I can tell, the movie, the first one was bolstered by having all this talent surrounding it. So, like, this great cinematography, a fantastic director, these rich actors kind of bringing these characters to life. I feel like the script in that one, though, was it was kind of like a service to it. But when you take out the components that really made that first movie stand out, it just feels like this movie is, like, just a substandard. And I know I'm not necessarily trying to compare one or the other, but at the same time, I feel it's kind of impossible when you've seen the first movie mm-hmm. to really kind of forget what you got out of that first movie as opposed to this one. And I thought to say this movie's terrible, but it just it feels a lot cheaper. Not only like from a budget standpoint, but just like morally, it doesn't feel like it's saying that much. And what it is trying to say is kind of confused and all over the place, in my opinion. I don't really feel like I got really what I was trying to say. And I didn't feel like the characters in this movie were really fleshed out or that interesting. And I've heard the comparison that this feels like a direct-to-DVD sequel version of Sicario. And I feel it's a little better than that. But there are times, there are definitely times where I was like, this just feels like a knockoff sequel. Mm. Uh, Like that one scene, like there are some scenes here that are written so bad that I was like laughing. And like the one was like the um, Secretary of Defense is like having like a newscast that looks like they recorded in like somebody's basement. (laughs) And it was just like we are gonna get those terrorists, and it's yeah. the, it was like it was just like so bad. And um, not to take away from your enjoyment of it, Sam, but I just felt like this was just—it's not a bad movie, but it just feels inferior in so many ways. And it just feels like they made it because, like, they just wanted to—they just felt like they needed to. I don't know. I don't know if there was like a huge demand for a sequel to. Sicario, but it just felt so like force. And there are things that I guess we can discuss more plot wise that just didn't really like seem right. And I don't know, I just I, at best I just feel it's pretty mediocre. Um yeah, man, I, I'm agreeing with Will Ashton so much this on this episode. I'm so sorry, Sam. Um wow. No, this happens all the time on my own <laughs> podcast. Well, that's right. You're a, you're a maverick, um, right when we needed one. So <laughs> 
Wow. I, I do love... There were love... like four different meanings to that sentence. I'm right, yeah. It's like... I'm sorry. My, my bad. I didn't mean to Inception. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm very much in the same line with you on the first Sicario. Will, when I first saw it, I don't know if it left me cold, but I, I did. it did take a long time for that movie to settle with me. It's a very it's a very violent movie, but it's kind of a slow burn. You know, you watch the first Sicario and when you don't know what to expect, you spend a lot of time guessing, you know, and wondering, like, what is this movie trying to say? What's going to happen next? And I, I firmly believe I do enjoy Taylor Sheridan's movies. Uh, Hell or High Water was one of my favorite movies of 2016. I thought Wind River was uh, substantially inferior to, to a lot of his other work, but I still got a lot out of that movie, especially with how it, um, it told a story about, you know, native Americans and, in, in ways that I think were just brutally honest. I do think yeah. that his movies tend to be very divisive. And mm-hmm. I think especially, uh, I think women can find his scripts to just be ex- just super, super marginalizing toward women. And mm-hmm. I, I totally understand that perspective. And, that was kind of where I was at with the first Sicario until I, I rewatched it. And I think, I think it clicked for me um, the second time around where the, and that movie is kind of brilliant, really kind of got me in that, you know, (laughs) the first Sicario is a movie where it's all about like ethical boundaries. And it's all about like how we as a country could get to the point where we are complacent in the government and the border doing unspeakable things in the name of security. And it's a movie that's morally ambiguous. It's a movie where, you know, Alejandro and um, the Josh Brolin character, I always forget his name, but... Um, it's Matt something. It's like yeah. Graver. Yeah, Steve Bannon, that's it. Um, yeah. <laughs> those two characters, they, you know, they're, they're not protagonists. You know, they're main characters, and they, they go back and forth between, like, you know protagonist and they straight up become antagonist to emily blunt's character and what i love about that is that it speaks true like if you look at emily blunt as representing american ideals you know she's somebody who is coming at this who is morally on the side of this is legal this is illegal we can do this we shouldn't do this and daniel kalua is there as well to sort of like bolster her ideas and like you know she gets strung along however and that movie is ultimately about how America can come from this place of allowing these things to happen, even though going against everything that they claim that America claims to be against, um, allowing these things to happen where we're, you know, being, we're kingmakers, we're, we're uh, allowing a hitman in Alejandro to, to go off and, and murder people and uh, for the sake of security. So with Dave the Soldado, I, I the only the only way I can come away from this sequel not considering it a complete piece of trash of a film <laughs> is by looking at it as a sequel spin-off or as a kind of a video on demand like okay well here's a little side story with these characters because I think it betrays everything that Sheridan did in that first script and you can really tell that Denis Villeneuve is a big reason why the script worked in the first one because I think the decisions he made to cut back, for example, on a lot of the dialogue for Alejandro to make him much more of a atmospheric character, we really don't know what his deal is. He got a, he got rid of a lot of his dialogue, and he didn't try to make him and the Josh Brolin character super sympathetic. And in this movie, that's all gone, and these two characters are kind of propped up as these like anti heroes. 
And it's a complete reversal of what the first movie was trying to say. Speaking to like what Will is saying about the politics of this movie being very confused, you have the first half, which is kind of like feeding into a fantasy of like what's going on at the border that is actually being used right now as propaganda to harm people's lives. So there's that factor of like trying to watch this movie and separate real life from fiction to which like it's just hard for me to rationalize enjoyment or entertainment or thought provoking out of a movie that is kind of like it, it it's kind of being written as a, a for spectacle to like entertain people but these are things that people believe are reasons that we should be committing like human rights abuses against you know Mexicans basically mm-hmm. and it is so difficult to watch this movie recognizing that and even if you separate all that stuff, you do have all the other problems, I think, which, you know, it, the fleshing out of the Benicio del Toro character, which I just think is, a, who is this guy? It, it, completely different from the first movie. Yeah, I was going to say, and it's, I mean, oh, yeah, I, I can't stand it. And I, I, I do think like there's good aesthetic stuff in here. I don't think it's like a terrible, I don't think it's terribly made or anything. I think it's hard to separate from the first movie because of, I mean, that movie was kind of lightning in a bottle in terms of like getting that crew together. But I, I think by the end of it, the only reason I liked the ending, actually, and I think the last 20 to 30 minutes are the strongest. Um, there, there are a couple of things I'm, I'm just like, wow, okay. Like, it, the movie is saying something very clear about evil and, like, the people who become evil. But at least in, like, the final frames, you have something resembling a movie that I think would I'd rather see. You know, just not invoking the Sicario uh, franchise, I guess, at this point. Um that's kind of where I'm at with it. I, I hate this film. I, I just think it's a mean spirited, um, ugly and just uninspiring or uninspired kind of flick. But Sam, you liked, so I, I don't want to steam pile all over it. I want to hear from you. Like, oh, no, obviously no. things worked for you here. <laughs> um, and I don't, I don't want to disparage anybody who likes this film. I don't think liking this film is wrong. I don't think, you know, liking the first Sicario is wrong. I, I just, th- there's just something that I can't reconcile with it that I recognize that's not going to be the case for everybody. Okay. Well, okay. So, so you bring up a lot of interesting points, a lot of which I actually agree with. And I should clear up that I do not love this movie by any means, but I do like it clearly more than you two do. Um, it, I think it does have uh, a fair number of flaws. And in fact, now that you mention it, uh, most of the, most of the things I like about it uh, do come from the fact of it being a sequel to the first one. Uh, not necessarily in a way of uh, me comparing the two, but just sort of looking at the journey from this first one to the second one. Because um, first of all, I think you you look at the first Sicario, kind of a weird movie to have a sequel to, don't you think? Mm-hmm. Like I I think it's that we should have sort of mentioned that right up top. Uh, you know, the, the movie, it was successful, but it didn't do like MCU numbers or anything. And the story seems like it kind of wrapped up. I mean, maybe there's a little room. Um, and so what, what that says to me is that, uh, this isn't like some sort of cynical, uh, cash in or something. They're not doing this like, Oh, it's the, you know, people love the Sicario franchise. They'll go see anything from it. No, I think they genuinely have a story they want to tell here. Um, and I think what I like about it the most and what, where most of my compliments come from, um, are from a standpoint of looking at it as sort of a thematic companion piece to the first one. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. 
Somewhat, and it, it's it's challenging because I want I want to agree with you in the sense that a lot of the complaints I have are about the first half, and I think you're completely right about the second half of this movie because the second half of this movie makes a completely different point from the first, which almost redeems it. So I I don't know if that's what you're getting at, but I do want to point that out. It's sort of I I didn't. I was not uh, picking up on some sort of Well, shift there's still the, the air episode. of, like, no matter what we do, things just go wrong. And this kind of, like, hubris of the American government and the border right. and trying yeah, to... Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, Which is that's what I love half. about it. Well, yeah. So, um, the thing about these movies... I forget um, which one of you it was, but I think uh, one of you brought up how the entertainment value of this is not particularly high. Is that about right? I don't know. You hear that well? Uh, well, I will say, I mean, the things I do like about the movie are more or less superficial in the sense that I do think it has pretty good action. There's like a shootout in the middle of the movie, um, like in the middle of the desert that I think is pretty well done. I just think it's pedestrian um, compared to the first one's action. Sure. Scenes, right? But I mean, I'm trying to give it some slack. I got, I got um, no, I mean, I, I'm not saying it's like amazing. I'm not going to give it any awards, but I think it's well done. It's fairly competent and it's a, approach i can tell what's going on i think like stuff like that i from an entertainment value at least i find that stuff i'll give it credit engaging. for that scene in particular i'll give it credit for the the way they do it through the perspective of the young girl is right. what kind of elevates that scene a little bit right otherwise it would that, just be yeah i think that's kind of what makes it stand out to me is that like we kind of get this perspective from someone who is i guess more innocent and that harkens back to like it not being such a tough rugged masculine movie that i feel like is just not really that appealing to me personally we should mention this and, is the young actress from uh, Transformers: The Last Night, and oh, is it? She, yeah, yeah, yeah. familiar. She's she kills it in this movie a little bit. I want to say she she does a good job. I mean, if anything, I wanted her character to be more fleshed out, and I know that was probably never going to happen mm. because of the script. But we had to see um, the two really really tough guys, you know, just like super gun their way through the movie. No time. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I there's, feel like, there's like I feel like, like that's that. sort of intentional, though. I feel like they're well, sort yeah. of doing a predator thing where they're trying to like, uh, maybe not satirize, but at least sort of uh, show the the um, oh, what's what's the word I'm looking for? Just that over masculine uh, nature of yeah, these characters. Yeah, hyper masculine. Yeah, I would agree with that if either of these characters got a real comeuppance or if like we, they, we really saw a pitting of the two of them, like the trailers kind of promised, um, mm, right. not to give anything away, but like, that's really not what this movie is. <laughs> yeah. I didn't watch any of the trailers, so maybe that's, yeah, it. sorry, I mean, sorry I we cut you off as, a, as like a parody of anything of that sort, Sam. I mean, not for me at least, <laughs> or a satirization of anything like that. It seemed like more of a glorification of it. Oh really? Yeah, yeah I didn't. Might take I didn't get glor- glorification. Maybe not necessarily satire or parody, but I didn't get glorification. I got this as it's sort of it. Gosh, I'm trying to figure out how to word this because um, so many of the things that you guys are bringing up, like I agree with, but because I'm looking at it slightly differently, I like it rather than dislike it. Uh, which happens a lot. Ask either of my co-hosts. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they'll, they'll tell you that stuff. Um, but so when, when I say thematic companion piece, here, here's what I'm talking about. Okay. So um, you look at the first Sicario. It's this really intense, gritty, sort of weirdly paced, but still relatively accessible story 
about uh, what our government is doing and how Emily Blunt, she's sort of like a like a stand-in for the everyday citizen, for the audience, essentially. Right, right. Um, right. See, seeing the horrors of all this uh, and realizing how little we actually know, like what's going on uh, right under our noses, right within our own country, and how little control we feel like we have. And in, in that first movie, um, she was sort of the only character, and uh, Daniel Kaluuya as well. Or is it Kaluuya or Kalua? I forget. I think I it's Kalua, but I'm not sure. If- the, those two characters, they're sort of, they're they're sort of. Um, they're sort of demoted to everyday citizens. They're they're FBI agents, but in the face of these uh, ruthless people who are allowed to do pretty much whatever they want, they sort of feel like children at that point. Hmm. That that is, I feel, is sort of the driving force of the first one. And in this movie, I feel like this was sort of placed on the other two characters, on Josh Brolin and, and Benicio del Toro. Um, that that early scene, you see the supermarket bombing. Matthew Modine comes on, in that I I didn't I didn't pick up on any uh, you know basement filming scene on that, but you might be right about that. Uh, I mean, I'm exaggerating, it, obviously, Sam. I mean, I just no, thought it looked very cheap. It it is. The, listen, the, they don't have Roger Deakins. I'm I'm willing to cut them a little slack. Honestly, I wasn't paying too much attention to that, but perhaps that's just oversight on my part. I digress. Um, and what he basically says is that uh, because of this, because we suspect the cartels of being responsible for this, um, they are now considered terrorists, technically. They weren't before. They are now. Um, and now what we're going to do is send in the full force of the U.S. military. He literally says it just like that. Mm-hmm. Like the U.S. military. Um it's le- it's letting us it's or it's letting the characters and by extension the audience know um, violence is just how it works. You just have to accept it. And what I see in these characters, or especially Brolin, is that he's just completely accepted it. There's a scene early on um, that that points to a motif I saw throughout this movie. Uh, it's like this interrogation scene where they're sort of trying to suss out who's responsible for the bombing. And at one point, Josh Brolin sits in a chair and puts his feet up on the counter, and he's wearing Crocs. I right, know it's right. a weird detail to fixate on, but well, that's the, a, the movie that's fixates. the callback to the first one, right? Well, he's wearing it sandals is. in the first one, but it, yeah, right. it's I a, mean, just like a bad footwear, or whatever. I some like I thought that's what they were doing for. Right, him. right, but I think like it's supposed to be like the Emily Blunt character is like looking at him through the window and like sussing him out, and it's like you can't figure him out because yeah. yeah. He's wearing Crocs, sandals, whatever he's wearing. This is like a day job to him. The the other characters he's working with. There's a scene where they're in like a hotel room uh, getting ready to assassinate somebody. And you see them just calmly like, you know, packing shampoo into their bags. They have these they have these brief little moments of just fun, little quippy um, levity. They're not recognizing the impact of what they're doing, how serious this is. That they are feeding, air quote, the system um, that everyone's paranoid about, the audience included, yeah. how violence is our country's only language that we speak, how regular people don't matter. It's essentially like the um, the the 1% versus the 99% thing. And 
what I got out of this movie that I didn't get out of the first one is that there's sort of a melancholy this time around. You, I, they oh, never. It's there is never one in the like, first. Yeah, I, was there say, I felt bit. more melancholy during the first movie than this one. That comes mostly out of Emily Blunt in the first one, though. Right, I right. feel it's right. a different. It's a different thing. It's a different kind of melancholy. It's never stated outright, but there's I, I forget the exact line, and I wish I could remember it. But Josh Brolin says something along the lines of, um, "You hire me, I'll do it." He's just totally given himself over to this. This is just his life. Yeah, his morality um, is figured out, and you know, I, there's something to what you're saying. I think um, because. Because the big difference between these two movies, and again, don't want to give too much away. It's stuff that is given away in the trailers. In the first movie, he and he and Del Toro's character get what they want. They they win. They, they everything that they do goes according to plan. And in this sequel, we see what happens when it doesn't go according to plan, and they get a comeuppance in that way. And even though I don't think the movie kind of brings us all together in a way that's actually satisfying, I absolutely appreciate. The, the thematic continuation, I think, of what you're pointing out here, which is why I think the second half works a lot better than the first. But I, yeah. I do see your point about how the first half is trying to establish the paranoia that informs the second. Not, I mm-hmm. think that's what you're saying. But like, in that way, I do respect that the movie on that level. Yeah, that, that's more or less it. Um, there's, there's a scene I really liked um, in the second half where... Uh, Benicio del Toro has a conversation with sign language with a deaf man. I won't say the circumstances or anything, but he has this conversation. You're reading the subtitles. There's a sadness to what he's saying. You see that this character has just been completely disenfranchised and how, uh, unlike Josh Brolin, he's sort of, and, and again, this is all subtext, um, but I'm a sucker for subtext. Uh, again, ask my co-host. They'll tell you all the, <laughs> everything you need to know. He's sort of starting to think about it. He's starting to realize, um, you know, what are we doing? And, the, and that feeds into the ending a little bit, um, which is funny. You say you like the ending. That's actually one of the things I'm torn on. Um, mm, I wish we could talk about it um, <laughs> more in more detail because it is I something that I wish there was enough to to justify like a whole spoiler section. Um, but it's really just one thing sort of. Mm-hmm. Um, I I'll say like in, in terms of those scenes, I, I'll reiterate he he's more verbal Kent in this movie, but the first movie he was Kaiser Soze. And that's kind of why I'm not <laughs> as like, I'm not as interested. He's so talkative in this one. And that that's just something that I just, it didn't work for me here. I think the, the scenes where he's doing sign would have been much better probably if we had had the character from the first movie who is much more reserved, much more like what's going on in his head. Whereas here he has like just an emotional arc that I just don't connect with at all. Um, mm. But okay. We, we have, we've gone on um, quite a bit and I feel like we've really covered this one as much as we can without giving up so much that uh, it really gives away the whole thing. Um, let's, let's lean into our final thoughts and give out okay. our grades. Uh, we'll start with you, Sam. You, you've already kind of given a lot. Um, how would you sum up what you've said here? And then uh, what's the grade you ultimately give this one? Uh, yeah. So I said all the stuff I like, I do have problems with it. Um, like the first one, I think it is sort of oddly paced. It's sort of, if you're not like, I, I hate to say this, but it's, if you're not like a hundred percent invested in it, um, it might kind of lose you a little bit. It's, it's very dour. It's very cynical. Um, 
a lot of they the, there's a lot of uh, exposition. I feel it works, but it is exposition, and so there is that. And again, I'm torn on the ending, but I think just to sort of conclude my entire uh, point, I was getting at. Um, whereas the first one was sort of introducing us to this world, this one we now live in the world and we're realizing sort of how how permanent the that world is and so i really appreciate all that and i think and i i hear they're producing a third one i don't know if that's been officially confirmed but according to my research there will be a third one and i'm really excited to see it i hope they go at it with with more of a slightly more optimistic angle maybe this one a lot of it is sort of reinforcing what the first one established. I will grant you that. And so if we see a third one, I want to see maybe, maybe a movie about what can be done, hmm. you know, some sort of upside to this. Um, but as it stands, I think I, I had a good time with it. I think I got a lot out of it. Uh, I agree with a lot of your points, but I also, maybe that's just not what I was looking for. So overall, um, I guess you you guys do letter grades, right? That's right. Yeah. Okay. So what would what would like a low like a high six or a low seven equal out to? Sounds like a B it's minus. Like a, like a B B minus, yeah. Okay. I'll I'll just give it a I'll just give it a B, solid B. All right. Um, and yeah, it's funny. I, get, I think I give the first Sicario a B plus. And I was really close to giving it an A minus, and I was kind of torn. I think it's more of an A minus, like when I saw it again. Um, that's interesting. So, okay, Will Ashton, uh, what about you? Final thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I can appreciate what you're getting out of it, Sam. I just didn't get find that personally. I don't know. To me, the script felt very like hackney. It just felt like they kind of conglomerated together in a sense that like Taylor Sheridan is working on the show called Yellowstone right now, and I felt like a lot of his time was probably devoted to that project and he probably just put this together and they kind of just worked with it and i just felt like anything that was intriguingly ambiguous in the first movie was not very satisfying in its ambiguity in this time around um i don't know i mean i was reading this piece from slate yesterday from a writer named isaac butler who called this movie the uh true detective season two of movies i saw that that's pretty great <laughs> and um great description that's kind of how I feel about it, especially because, like, I mean, for me, the the compare like the difference in those uh, shows or those seasons is a little more jarring to me than this one. I I don't think this one is quite the same departure, but I do think it is a step down in nearly every sense. Um, I don't know. I mean, anything that I found really intriguing about the first movie just felt like it was done in a way that just wasn't to my liking or at least wasn't really that satisfying to me and I, i'm not against dour and cynicism if it's driven with a point to me this film felt just kind of cynical and ugly in a bad way in the sense that it was trying to like tell a story that i just don't think we need to hear right now in the sense that i just don't think it has anything to offer and what entertainment has didn't really feel entertaining to me because these things have real implications right now and it's not like i can really escape in this world it just feels like I'm I am very uncomfortable with it. Yeah, the timing um, is unfortunate. Yeah, but and the I, situation it, I, is more unfortunate. Right, and I mean I might I think it is timely, but I don't think it's really saying anything. So just by being timely, I don't think is enough. 
So I'm going to give it a C plus. Yeah, I, I, it's interesting. I I just think it's kind of a useless film in a lot of ways and i i can i can sort of see like the optimism like i i i think our conversation about day of the soldado and specifically the points you've been bringing up sam are much more interesting and thought-provoking to me than the actual movie (laughs) um so i'm glad i'm glad we could have like a wide-ranging discussion on it um yeah i'm echoing a lot of what you all are saying i think that uh you know, for me, it comes down to there's two movies here, one that I absolutely despise and one that I find interesting, but sort of, uh, you know, just sort of inferior on a technical level to the first. I didn't mention this, but like the, the first half of this movie, some of the editing and we, we have actually said that the pacing is a bit off, but the, the, the editing in the first half is just abysmal. I mean, there are scenes in there that you could have easily cut out that uh, offer nothing really. And I just don't think that this movie picks up any energy until the, uh, the midway shootout that really kicks the plot in. And uh, that's when I think the movie starts to actually um, become about something um, clear and somewhat interesting. But, uh, you know, it, it, as I said before, I do think elements of the ending and ultimately what Sheridan is trying to say toward the end redeems a lot of what the first half I, I think is just despicable and it's, and just what it's peddling. Um, so I, I, interestingly, I do give this movie a C, which is weird because like, it, again, first half F F minus, but you know, you, you can't really deny that, you know, from an objective point, like I do see like it's, it's half of something, uh, worth saying. And, uh, I think a lot of what you're saying, Sam, um, speaks to what I think some people will get something out of this movie. I don't think they'll get something out of it. That's particularly novel or useful, but, um, you know, they'll get something out of it regardless. Um, so that's that is Sicario, Day of the Soldado, quite a divisive film, and definitely a, a range of opinions here. But uh, I definitely think uh, all well argued. Uh, so I don't yeah. know what that average is. I guess I guess it's like a C plus B minus average. Mm. Um, if you're interested in it, and uh, yeah, may, judge it for yourself. I guess um, mm-hmm. we, we t- Will a, and I took a the lot hit of a lot of what uh, Taylor Sheridan does is sort of societal PSAs. You know what I'm saying, and. <laughs> I, and I feel like this kind of, I feel like this it. falls into it. Societal it's or sort suicidal? Of a, uh, it's sort of a broad way to uh, talk about it. All right. Did you say societal or suicidal? He said oh, societal. societal. Oh, okay, okay. I thought you were trying to be cheeky and like, suicidal. No, no. All right. Well, let's get into our mini reviews. Uh, that was a long review, so we'll cut. We'll keep these mini reviews uh, short, so we're not here all day. Uh, starting with you, Will Ashton. Uh, you saw Ant Man and the Wasp, and you won't have a chance to talk about it in our featured review next week. So, uh, just a couple of minutes here. Uh, what did you think of the movie? Should we go see it? Yeah, I mean, um, I don't know how much I can say, but I will say that it's pretty much what you can expect from the first movie. It's uh, I don't know. I mean. I will say that this movie overall is just fine. Like, it's acceptable. In the sense that it's weird to me that this movie is as weird as it is, but it's also fairly generic. Like, mm. its approach is very by the numbers. You can basically tell what's going to happen as far as, like, the story beats are concerned. So it's a Marvel but, movie? Yeah, it's a Marvel movie. It's very much a Marvel movie. <laughs> and I will say that there is, I guess, like... I wasn't really... I was never bored by it, but there is, like, a like a repetition to it that I did find to be like not super engaging. Like the but same I will kind say, of set pieces or rep- repeating the first movie? No, mean? I mean, just like in the sense that in the movie itself, like the action just kind of repeats itself I a see, lot. I see, I see. But I can't really get into specifics. So I will say that 
this movie is a lot busier than the first one. Um, there's a lot more going on. There's a lot of characters to its benefit and to its fault. I don't think there's a strong villain here. And I think there's just like more ideas than they know what to do with. But at the same time, there is such a lighthearted approach to it. It kind of reminded me in a way of like the uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids movies when I was growing up. <laughs> and I think there is some, there's a value to that in the sense that we are just coming off of um, Avengers Infinity War, which is a pretty dark and dour uh, Marvel movie, especially by their standards. Mm-hmm. And I think there is such there is a value to this movie being fairly lighthearted and kid friendly. Like this is probably the most like young kid accessible Marvel movie they've made. Like I would not be surprised if it's PG. Cause it's very, <laughs> I mean, no, I mean like, I mean that as a compliment, like it's very okay. like it's, it's appropriate for young audiences, probably like the most appropriate for younger audiences of the MCU. And I think there is a value to that. I think it's silly, it's goofy. And I think if like families just want something that they can enjoy, um, for a Fourth of July weekend, then I don't. I think there's a value to it. I don't think it's an amazing film necessarily. I think it's just kind of a borderline effort for Marvel. Like it's just right back in the middle, which is basically how I feel about the first Ant Man. Which is that there's a lot of potential there, and sometimes they realize this, especially with the um, special effects for the miniature effects. Like I, I think they're really good at capturing like what it's like to be that small and just kind of running around and doing all this stuff. As you say from experience. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it really captures um, this. I was surprised. But I don't, but I think there is like, I, I think that's where the pacing really works out. I think in those action scenes, there is a fluidity to them that is really, uh, really well done. And I do think that's, I think a credit to Peyton Reed, yeah. but overall, I don't know. I, I mean, it's definitely a movie that feels like it's being worked on by a bunch of different cooks in the kitchen. Um, I don't really feel like there's like a definitive voice in this film. And I feel like that's something that holds it back from like, say guardians of galaxy where I feel like the weirdness of that movie really comes from James Gunn and a singular voice and vision. And this movie, I think it could have benefited from that. I feel the same way about the first Ant-Man as well. Um, so overall, I don't know. I'm between a B minus and a C plus. I think I'm going to give it a B minus just cause I, I wasn't bored by it. I enjoy it, but I didn't really feel like I got like that much out of it, especially yeah, compared yeah. to, um, Black Panther and even Infinity War. But overall, it's worth watching if you just want something goofy and silly and not too taxing or demanding. But it's it's not really going to be like a game changer for Marvel by any imagination. It's just kind of another installment. And if you like that, then you're going to enjoy it. If yeah. not, then don't check it out. You, you can just see something else. In some ways, it feels a little bit like a placeholder, you know? Like Yeah, it definitely is. I mean... Yeah, I don't want to say too much more, but it is kind of weird that they had this movie come out um, after Infinity War, or yeah. in between Infinity War because Part money. 1 and 2. They could sure. have released this one in April, but Infinity War is the one that they were like, we have to, we want this to make yeah. all the June and July money, so yeah. Right, and um, I will say, I mean, I think if they, I think they're looking at more like as a release date standpoint like i think this Mm -hmm. is the kind of movie that should come out on the fourth july weekend as opposed to infinity war which would be kind of a bummer for fourth july but uh, (laughs) yeah whereas like infinity war came out during people's finals so yeah (laughs) all right well that's ant-man and the wasp i'm still pretty excited about it because i'm ready for a a marvel super heroine in the wasp with evangeline oh yeah and i will say i mean evangeline lily is that that's her name right yeah she's great i i think she really sells this time to shine she's the they main give her... reason i want to see this just because I'm yeah like, i mean all she's right. probably the thing about truth be told we, at this point we've really only gotten black widow you know we've gotten kind of like side 
female characters, but until Captain Marvel comes out, I mean, we haven't had like a soul, you know, like a Wonder Woman-esque kind of superhero movie for Marvel, which is just ridiculous. Um, so I'm, a, I'm, I feel like this is probably the movie that probably should have come out first almost. Um, but oh well, I, I'll, I'll be talking about this one next week. Um, for now, let's talk about, uh, yes, Leave No Trace. Leave No Trace is the uh, Deborah Granick movie. Um, I'm assuming you guys liked Winter's Bone. I don't want to assume, but... I did, yeah. I feel like that's a movie most people are on board for. Uh, Although, I love, uh, I love Winter's I, Bone. I still always think of that one Wayne's World skit they did for like the 40th anniversary. I just had that recurring joke where it's like, Winter's Bone. You, I don't think you remember that, though. That's really mature, Will. I know. <laughs> That's just what I think about now when I hear about that movie. Uh, fair I enough. go back. That movie is not... That is not a lighthearted movie at all. No, but, no. Um, and it's, it, but it's a, it's a great movie. This is the, yeah. this is the sophomore uh, film from Deborah Gannick. This one also premiered at Sundance. I think Winter's Bone was a Sundance movie as well. And uh, it was also written by Anne Rosalini, who I got to meet at the San Francisco Film Festival where they showed this. And so I, I've had a chance to really sit on this film for a few months now. And uh, it's finally hitting its limited release. Uh, it's a Bleecker Street film. And it's doing really well. I think uh, as of yesterday, I haven't looked at Rotten Tomatoes, but uh, last I checked, I mean, out of like 63 reviews, uh, it's 100% fresh. Um, I don't know if that's still the case, but uh, if it is, I, that definitely, this is an example of a movie that I don't think is 100% in terms of quality or anything, but in Rotten Tomatoes, 100%, which is more of like everyone at least likes this movie, if not loves it, I think that's right on. Uh, this movie is based on a book uh, called My Abandonment by Peter Rock. I haven't read it, but it is very interesting to see a book where – so so the the story involves a father and a daughter. Um, the father is played by Ben Foster, and the daughter is played by a newcomer, Thomas and Mackenzie. Um, I don't think she's been in a lot until now. Uh, this is kind of, in a lot of ways, her breakout performance. And – in the book, it's written by a man, you know, and it's really more, from what I've heard, it's more from the father's perspective. But in Leave No Trace, the film, which is directed and written by women, it's more told, the story here is more told from the perspective of the daughter. And I think to this movie's absolute benefit, because I think that that's a great way to take a source material and really justify adapting it into a movie because you have the freedom to do something different with it that isn't so different that it's going to annoy people who enjoy the book. I don't think the book is necessarily um, so popular that it has so many fans that would come at it that way, but I, I think it's enough to really uh, be a great companion piece. I, I think I really want to read it at this point, basically. And see what the differences and similarities are. Um, so this movie, uh, I've referred to it as sort of like if you took Captain Fantastic and you gave it like a gritty reboot. Um, that's really what this would be. Uh, it's definitely so Captain Fantastic. Of course, it's a little bit more of like the Little Miss Sunshine of like you know we're we're communists living out in the forest and you know like we're teaching our kids to like take be self sustaining and um, Viggo Mortensen and he really gives a great performance. I think he was nominated for Best Actor that year. And uh, it it it's a it's a movie that like takes itself seriously, but it's definitely got more of a lighthearted tone to it about these people who get live off the grid. And Leave No Trace, it's the same kind of deal. They live off the grid. They they live in a national park. Um, you know, the, the contention here is that they're considered homeless, um, but they're not. They have, like, shelter. and um, it, But it, it's really more of a bleaker, uh, darker movie with this subject matter in a way that's realistic. And we watch as um, this father and daughter kind of try to eke out an existence, even though both of them 
you know, she wants to like really see more of the world, but she really, she struggles with that and also being with her father and um, relying on him. It's a very believable performance. And Ben Foster wants to do the best for his daughter, but he also, he, he has these inner demons that make it so that he just can't be part of civilization. And the movie asks a lot of really hard questions about what's the right thing for these two characters to do you know they go on a very long journey together um a lot of it takes place when um, they do eventually try to like adapt to society and we see how that works out and to an effect that's really tense and it's very very heartbreaking and um i, I really recommend this I, I think that it's it's absolutely beautiful it takes place mainly in portland oregon and it was shot there and you get a real sense of of nature of uh there are certain scenes that will really just make you uh just feel cold you know and uh i'm looking at it now and it, yeah the approval rating is still 100 percent based on 89 reviews so uh and i think that's an average rating of 8.4 out of 10 i think that it, it's a movie that's kind of it, itself is kind of low under the radar, but it, you really are going to get something out of both of these performances, and notably Thomas and Mackenzie, who is just she's a star in the making. Um, I think the comparisons between her and Jennifer Lawrence it's a little superficial, but it's very different what these two actors are doing in their respective movies. But it is similar in a uh, career standpoint, where I, I think we could see a lot coming from this actor uh, in future movies and. Uh, not to take anything away from Ben Foster, who is just, uh, once again, just proving that he is much more than a genre actor. He's much more than like a kind of dark, grim, dark action movie kind of guy. He really has acting chops and um, he has a way of like making you feel sympathetic for him, even when, you know, he's just a grumpy person, <laughs> you know, but you still want the best for him anyway. It, it's a wonderful performance. So uh, be sure to check this one out if you can. It's in limited release now. And uh, I hope uh, I hope both of you get a chance to see this one, um, especially you, Sam Nolan. Oh, thank you for using my full name, John Negroni. Uh, well, you know, <laughs> I don't think enough people do. All yeah, right. you might be right. Let's leave no trace. And uh, Will, you saw Uncle Drew. Should I see this one tomorrow? I, I was thinking about it. Are you actually thinking about seeing it? I, yeah, I am. And so this is the Pepsi commercial movie. Yeah. Um... <laughs> What's the well, first, are you are you a basketball fan, John? I watch I watch basketball here and there, and I'm, I'm I watch the NBA Finals, and I, but I'm not that into it. Like I don't know these, I don't I don't know stats, I don't know stuff. Okay, um, yeah, it's because I don't know. I guess going into this movie, I was fairly cynical about it. Not so much because it's based on a commercial, but like because it was like produced by Pepsi. And do you like, show up wearing your jersey? Yeah, um, I don't know. I, I just tend to be cynical about anything that just feels like it's made by a company. Um, but I will say there is a great deal of heart to this movie. Um, it is, like you said, based on like a series of uh, webisodes, I guess. Like they weren't really yeah. commercials, but they weren't like they weren't not commercials. They were made by Pepsi, and they fe- featured uh, Kyrie Irving as like this old man who like schools kids who think they can trash talk this old man that's actually just kind of early in makeup mm-hmm. um that's basically what the movie is it's focused mostly on uh is his name lil ray howry uh yeah he's the guy from get out yeah the the comic relief character from get out and um he's given this platform to be the main actor and i think he does a pretty good job uh tiffany haddish and uh nick kroll are in the movie as well as well as uh shaquille o'neal and a bunch of other uh 
basketball figures that I can't think of on top of my head because I'm not really super into basketball. Chris Webber, Reggie Miller. Yeah, there you go. Um, I don't know. I don't have a ton to say about the movie, but I will say that it's fairly formulaic by nature. I mean, the plot goes exactly how you expect it to down to like the last beat. Um, there's nothing that's really going to like surprise you, except there is one thing you'll see in this movie that you'll never be able to unsee. And I think you should prepare oh. yourself for that. <laughs> oh my. Um, I won't give away what it is cause it's a pretty big joke, but, um, overall, I don't know. I mean, it's clearly like a lot of like riffing and it's a lot of, um, they just kind of make it up as they go along, but there is like a real camaraderie to the group. And I will say Kyrie Irving, he does a pretty good job. I mean, like <laughs> it never, there are quite a few moments where it doesn't feel like a performance. It feels like he's uh, or, like, he doesn't feel like he's like acting. It feels like a genuine character. Um, high and praise. what I said, that's high praise. Yeah. I mean, no, I mean, like, he's not like a professional actor by any means. And it's not like, uh, Michael Jordan in space jam, for instance, where he's like clearly reading lines mm-hmm. and stuff like that. He, uh, it's a little more, it's closer to LeBron James and Trainwreck, where he is fairly charismatic and he is, uh, you know, doing a fairly pretty good job. Yeah. Um, I will say, I mean, like, I, I don't know if I'd recommend it necessarily because, I mean, there's only like a handful of laughs and, uh, it's not really like, like I said, I mean, it's very formulaic. You know exactly what's going to happen. But at the same time, there is like a buddy feel good charm to it that I can see this really working for a lot of people. And I think it's better than I gave it. Like better than I thought it was going to be going in. So um, I don't I don't let the grade truly define how I feel about it, but I think it's a C-plus film. But I did actually get some more enjoyment out of this film than I was anticipating. More than Sicario. But, what's it? <laughs> yeah, more I mean, than Sicario did. I was going to say, it's the same grade as Sicario, but I think I enjoyed I would watch oh. Uncle Drew again before I <laughs> yeah. ever check out Sicario de Saldano again. Um, it's not doing amazingly at the box office, but it's making money. It, it only costs about seventeen to nineteen million dollars yeah, to make. It, it does it's not already look made like half it that. Yeah, it's not going to be a hit or anything for for Summit, but it's uh, definitely not a flop or anything. I don't think it will be. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it'll sell some Pepsi. Um, I think that <laughs> here's the thing: you don't, you don't, you don't want to play basketball after drinking Pepsi. That's not a good idea. Which I thought that was, I thought that was weird too. Like, it was right? like of all drinks like i don't get how this is a pepsi thing you're gonna get cramps like, I would, if it was gatorade that would make a lot more sense yeah yeah well i don't know it was pepsi max if i remember correctly which that's not even a thing anymore if i is it i think it's like something else oh and i will say um we drink we drink coke in this family <laughs> it's like that what's that parks and rec line like we're a twizzler family <laughs> um uh, now I will say there is not a lot of product placement in the movie. That was one thing I was worried about. And the one time they do like sell Pepsi, it's like a wink, wink joke. So they don't so, they don't have like a tournament at the end of the movie that's like the Pepsi All State Challenge or something. Um, there is a tournament. I forget if it was. Like, <laughs> How did I? <laughs> okay. Well, obviously, I mean, like I said, you can predict it's a the plot. Film, you know, yeah. From, you can predict the plot without even watching. And I told you like all the characters. Like I'm guarantee you figure out what the plot is instantly. Yeah. But um. Maybe I would say, I mean, like, it's not like in your face about the Pepsi stuff. It's they're they're more focused on the characters and stuff. It's not like a giant like, hey guys, how about we refresh ourselves with some nice Pepsi and like they all <laughs> something like yeah. that. It's not like Brigsby Bear where he's just like, here's a Coke, <laughs> try it. <laughs> something like that. There's no like no Coke giving or anything like that. Yeah. All right. So that's Uncle Drew. It looks like a, like what I wanted it to be. A breezy sports comedy in the middle of uh, this bombastic blockbuster season. Uh, Sam Sam Noland, I forget your middle name. 
Um, oh well, I think it's it's, it's James if you're curious. Samuel James. Uh, Thank you. Damn, what are you doing? You shouldn't have given him that information. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Will's still paying for it. Um, <laughs> Samuel James, uh, you your mini review is kind of off the beaten path a little bit. I'm excited to hear about this. Uh, you a, saw a something that uh, it came out a little bit ago, actually. I don't a little think while. It's, uh, yeah. Yes, yes. Uh, John, John's being very cheeky right now. Um, I. Uh, some of you may know that the year is 2018 the 50-year anniversary of 1968 um i'm talking like jeff goldblum now and i don't really uh, <laughs> i can't get out of it, it. Going. <laughs> yeah. no why that's how you uh, get to will's heart oh yes 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 uh uh, uh 50 uh, years ago there was also, i'm back to my normal voice now a little movie came out called 2001 a space odyssey and uh came out in April of 1968, April 2nd, I believe. And I know that because for months now, I've been waiting for some sort of um, theatrical re-release because Christopher Nolan has nobly decided to, air quote, unrestore the movie, bring it back to its 70 millimeter uh, roots, just just like people saw it in 1968, and get it out to theaters. And I was it was showing at all these places... Um, and finally, just uh, two weeks ago, it finally got around to my neck of the woods. And uh, I was so excited because I've always wanted to see it in a theater. And it was, uh, I, I kept trying to go see it, but just life kept getting in the way. And so life uh, uh, found a way. Oh, I knew and, <laughs> oh I'm sorry. And uh, I want you to keep the Jeff Goldblum impression going. <laughs> all right. I'll go as long as I can. It's pretty meta. And then. And then, uh, the uh, uh, last day, I wanted to go see it, but I uh, couldn't. And so, the next day, suddenly, out of nowhere, it was announced that there was going to be one last uh, screening. And I said, I am going to that. Uh, no matter what, I will do whatever it is I have to do. I will... I will uh, Mm, yes, I, I will. I will commit whatever <laughs> crimes are uh, necessary. Oh, <laughs> Thank you for laughing. My co-hosts hate when I do that. Uh, Sam, I'll vemi you five bucks if you keep this impression <laughs> going for the end of this episode. If you promise? <laughs> you got to keep it going the whole time. If you break it, I'm not oh giving you much money. Oh, but if you gosh, keep it the I... whole time, I'll vemi you five bucks. That's a promise. Am I, am I really wow. about to do this for five dollars? <laughs> it's up to you, Sam. It's your money. All right, here we go. Use it when you need um, it. And so I went to uh, go see it. I drove a very long way. I drove 50 minutes away from my uh, my uh, humble uh, abode, and and to a to a theater where, uh, upon arriving at said theater, I bore witness to one of the most one of the most mm, magnificent. Mm, amazing uh, amazing movies ever made one of my uh, favorites of all time and many uh, many people myself included consider this to be the uh, uh, turning point of the career of one Stanley Kubrick a very very fine director one of my one of my very uh, one of my very favorite filmmakers that's ever ever existed and when people say they're a, uh, a Kubrick fan 
usually what they mean is that they're a fan of everything from 2000 onwards, uh, minus Barry Lyndon, Ugh. which is which is a ridiculous. Shame. Uh, they say is they say it's too long and uh, too boring, which is which is absolutely not true. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> per reach, <laughs> and and uh, but back to uh, two thousand one. I feel that uh, this 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 works on so many so many different levels aesthetically. It's just oh, it's just it's just beautiful, and I my my eyeballs are are crying tears of happiness because I don't want to blink and miss uh, miss a, a single frame of anything that happens. <laughs> um, Bring us and, home, Sam. Uh, you got this. Yes, got yes, it. yes. Yeah. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. And uh, it's it's thrilling. It's thrilling. Everything everything with Hal nine thousand is suspenseful and and tense. And I'm I'm gripping my armrest, wondering what's going to happen next. Is Hal going to open the pod bay doors? What what is what is that song that Hal is singing? Could be anything. Um, and it's very existential as well. I like that. I like the existential uh, nature of all this. Uh, uh, it's about uh, the the uh, evolution of the human race and how we are we are but children in this massive, massive universe, and we'll never never begin to uh, uh, comprehend it. <laughs> if any of you are uh, if any of you are familiar with me, you'll know that. Uh, I'm I'm a big uh, I'm a I'm a big sci-fi fan. I like some science fiction, and uh, I I I always tell people when they say, "What's your favorite sci-fi movie?" I say I have three favorites. It is uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Terminator, the very first one, not the second one. Although I love the second one very very much, uh, and Two Thousand One, and I think. 2001 at the moment is my favorite of those three usually i tend to go with whichever one i watch most recently and in this case it would be 2001 it's brilliant um if if your neck of the woods is still showing it i highly recommend it and for god's sake if you take out your phone i'll be very upset with you Mm. i'll be very upset with you i had seven people i counted i counted seven people Seven different people were not truly enamored by this by this uh, cinematic by this cinematic masterpiece, and decided to check their status and their and their Twitter <laughs> followers and their messages and and who knows what else. Gosh knows, check I their don't. Status. Oh yes, yes. Check their yeah. their vital statistics. You, who knows? <laughs> you, you have a an app for uh, for everything at this point. And uh, it was it was very frustrating. Like I get check, I checking myself, your status for Jurassic World: Fallen Kingdom, but oh, <laughs> oh, you you whimsical, oh, whimsical host of this podcast, you yes, yes. So that's that's two thousand one. Uh, I I don't feel like I need to recommend this too much. I feel like everyone's mm, everyone's probably somewhat familiar with this. But if you haven't seen it, and this is your first opportunity, I suggest doing so. Because you'll never know when you get another chance. You'll never know when life will find a way again. Mm, thank you. So slow that's clap. That's the best mini review we've ever done. <laughs> Sam, that's the best five bucks you've probably ever made. Oh, oh yes. no, it's a full episode. <laughs> yeah, oh. oh, wow. Mm. Um, 
Uh, just kidding, Sam. You can sub if you want. You've, you've more improved your deed, but I'll be more impressed if you yeah. do it the whole episode. Um, yeah, I think I'll, that... I'll remember that. Don't don't oh think gosh. I'll forget, William. Don't think I'll forget, Sam. Um, literally, while you were doing that, I purchased my two tickets for 2001 remastered 70 millimeter at the Alamo draft house on Monday. I'm being, I'm being optimistic by getting two tickets. It's probably it's just the seat next to me is going to be vacant. I don't think I can get anyone to come see this uh, movie. It is two hours and 45 minutes long and uh, it'll be at 10 55 PM when I'm watching this. So there's that. Um, John, yeah, I think you're yeah. mistaken. Sam left. This is Jeff Goldblum. Oh, oh yes. Yes. <laughs> um, and, uh, and I should mention uh, as if, as if there was any doubt in the world, um, I give this a uh, a magnificent A plus. I think it's one of the very best, very best things ever made in the in the uh, world of uh, cinema. You don't give out A pluses easily. Yeah. So no, 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 no. Only only about fifty or so in my entire life. Hey Jeff, uh, what's your favorite movie of yours? Oh, you, I, you're trying to, you're trying to pit me against, uh, uh, my, my colleagues. I see what you're doing. Well, well, I like them all. Well, that's good. I, all right. I think I, I, I enjoy myself in all of them in in one way or another, uh, I'm very, uh, very, very, very partial, very partial to the one where I play, uh, a scientist. You know the one. Oh, the, the fly? fly? Oh, no, no, no. You misunderstand. The one where I play a scientist. Mm, let that simmer in your in your uh, in your cerebral neurons and everything. Well, we unfortunately we got to we got to keep this moving. So, uh, let's let's finish out mini reviews. There's just one left. Um, American Animals which we finally, uh, Will and I finally saw. Um, this is a, it's so hard to follow that. I don't like, what am I supposed to do here? Um, this is a new sort of documentary slash narrative film. Docudrama. Yeah. Docudrama. It's a crime drama. Think I, Tanya, but like the real people the whole time. Well, yeah, I was, I was comparing it more to like American Splendor American or Splendor, like Bernie. Or Bernie. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, this, did we this, say Bernie at the same time? We did. Oh, oh, <laughs> Ooh, you two are you two are sharing well, something that I'm not because, aware of. Well, Bernie, of course, has uh, is a Richard Linklater film, and American Animals has Blake Jenner, which who is in yes, Richard Linklater's yeah. Everybody Wants Some, um, one of my favorite young actors. But uh, oh, anyway. really? oh yeah, I, I I think that he uh, he was in Edge of Seventeen as well, and I, I, just yeah, I was going to say, cool. I mean, what else has he been in? I can't really think of too many other things he's been in to even earn that distinction yet. Yeah, I said uh, one of. So, I think he has a lot of. I said one of. Um, Yeah. He's also he was also a character in Glee. If we want to get into that, uh, in the show's later seasons, and he was always Uh, he became one of the stronger characters there. Yeah, I I mean, I was gonna say. I mean, I bring that up because uh, this movie features two of my personal favorite up and coming actors, Evan Peters, Evan Peters, and Barry Keegan. Keegan, I think. There you go. Who was? um, I, I feel like. His performance was so good in Killing of Sacred Deer that it's like kind of hard to just see him play someone else right now, hmm. <laughs> especially like a normal like kind of everyday guy in America. It just 
it's such, he was so great in that movie that it's going to be a while before I see him in a new light. But he it's a credit to his performance that he is still very good in this film, as is uh, Evan Peters. I still haven't decided if I like Barry Keegan as an actor. I'm still trying to sort that really? out. Yeah, I don't know. There's something about his performances where I feel like he's the same in every movie. And so I'm not really getting much. I, I really, I like from Dunkirk to Killing, and he just has that same stare of like, I feel like he's thinking the same thing in all these movies. Like, I don't know. what I am I going like to have for dinner tomorrow? I feel like it's a criticism that Jeff Goldblum often gets, and I disagree with very much. So I, I wouldn't agree Jeff, with that. Jeff, anything to say about that? <laughs> I have nothing to say. I have nothing to say. Okay. Uh, say what so, you want. Say what you will. I I am but a dandelion drifting in the wind. I need no... I need no uh, uh, enabling. Well, I uh, need no justification for being on this on this wonderful uh, blue green <laughs> ball we all live on. All right. Um, so, what were you saying, John? Okay. So, <laughs> American Animals. It was written and directed by Bart Layton, um, and it, it's an it's technically from the Orchard, but also Movie Pass uh, acquired this one after Sundance. And it follows the story of these two childhood friends, um, Spencer and Warren, who are real-life people. Uh, They were raised in the suburbs of Lexington, Kentucky. Uh, They both went to Transylvania University, which is super real. Uh, The story happened in 2004. And so the movie here has, you see Barry Keegan, Evan Peters, and the other characters uh, playing these, like, real people. But it's intercut with the real people, like, you know, obviously in 2018. And it's about how they sort of go on, like, this unlikely heist. Um, They sort of see a way to steal this, like, $12 million book from their university campus, the Special Collections Library. And so they think that it's going to be easy. So from there, we get sort of this, like, bottle rocket kind of heist where they really don't know what they're doing. And this is an interesting film. Anne Dowd is also in this. Uh, She plays the librarian, Jared Abramson and Udo Kier. And what I'll say... It's almost as one of the things that makes the movie good and bad is that it definitely isn't it isn't a formulaic or straightforward kind of movie, but it's formulaic almost in the sense that like it borrows these like art artistic uh, gimmicky film techniques from like all of these other movies and kind of blends them all together like you get things where char- like characters are in like little miniatures uh or like evan peters will see himself in a classic movie um it plays with memory and perspective in a way where like the real life person will be arguing with um themselves or, like did that really happen and is like oh maybe it was a purple scarf and then on screen the scarf will change colors and mm-hmm. these are all things like we've kind of seen before but it's kind of interesting because it's all blended into its own thing and I'm curious, Will, what you think. Do, do you think this movie gets credit for being original, even though I, I can't think of anything super original in the filmmaking? But it well, it probably feels original to a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, I will say, I mean, I don't disagree with what you said, but to me, the movie is about, like, perception versus reality, especially as we view films of crime. And I think it's going to be really... I mean, I still haven't seen Ocean's 8, but it's kind of weird this movie's coming out around the same time as Ocean's 8. <laughs> Where that's like kind of like a fun, lighthearted movie about pulling off this nearly impossible heist, and this movie is kind of talking about like movies like Reservoir Dogs and uh, a couple others. The killing, where, they like, show a scene right from yeah, yeah, right where like there's this romanticized look at crime and yeah. how like in America there's like this idea that you can kind of do anything, especially if you're young and hungry, and you can like oh if we just if you just will it enough that you can like kind of do it, and not really thinking about the consequences of your actions and just thinking about like only really that yourself and what you can get out of it. And I think that 
in the movie's sense, like what it's trying to do, I think that is really intriguing. I agree with you that it's not like I'm not. I don't think it's saying anything revolutionary. I don't think it's saying anything completely new. But I think in that context, especially uh, you know having it paralleled to real life and seeing the real people and how this affected real people. Uh, I think it is fairly effective in that nature. Yeah, I do think it's effective. Um, and, it, I, you know, it, it reminded me a little bit of uh, Brigsby Bear and what I think it was trying to say of, like, how we how we take in... Well, that, that's the thing. It's a whole it's a whole thing about how movies kind of change our attitudes and they kind of make us do things that... Right. Um, it's about how movies inform real life, and which surprised me because I thought it was going to be the other way around. I thought this was going to be, like, real life informing a movie. And I kind of like... I kind, well, of, kind of is. Yeah, like, well, I really dug... First of all, the actual heist itself is kind of brutal and super removed tonally from everything else, which is... And, and some people would look at that and be like, it's jarring. It's well, tonally I mean, inconsistent. And that's stupid, because, like, it's supposed to be. And when they're actually pulling off the heist, you, you have this movie that's, like you said, romanticized. They watch these movies, and they, they think that they can be extraordinary. And then they pull off the heist, and they, it turns out to be not what they expected at all. And yeah. I kind of really dug how the movie wraps it up, actually. And um, it, it was really effective for me toward the end. Yeah, no, I agree. I was going to say, there are technically two heist scenes in the movie. One that's like completely romanticized. It's almost like a musical number in a way. <laughs> it really is. Um, and you're watching it, you're like, like, oh, I can't wait. It's really well done. And I, I agree with you. The actual heist scene is like completely, you know, unromanticized. It's very, very serious and intense. And I will say this the second half of this movie is super intense. Yeah. Like I, I was working it's playing at the, the it was playing at the theater where I'm working. There are people like coming out like this like trying to breathe like during the movie was playing. Like it's just it's very gripping. It's very well done. I credit that to the director. Yeah. Um who also made a movie I really like called The Imposter, if you haven't seen that. Um that's a really good documentary docudrama as well um but yeah no i i agree with what you're saying but i think i'm with you and i'm not I, I, it seems like you have some criticisms that you haven't really divulged into yet yeah i'm still processing the movie a little bit um i, I don't think it's a bad movie or anything uh I, I i'll just say it like I, I think it's about a b here and i think my main criticism is that i i do think evan peters kind of carries this uh, i just didn't get anything from the Spencer performance like I don't know and and there were there were yeah. weird things where I didn't understand some of what they were trying to do with the real life people and it did kind of come off as a gimmick at times and not like you said it, there was nothing revolutionary about how it uses that technique if you want to call it a technique and not a gimmick um, but I do think I do think Evan Peters here is absolutely the star I mean he's he's the character who really catches your attention steals the scenes and I don't mind the Barry Keegan performance it's it's definitely more like it's un it's un it's low key you know it, it's a mm-hmm. bit more of like introspective and yeah I think which is what he, I like about he's it. written as interesting and the real life person is interesting I just I don't I, I, the performance didn't work for me on that level for some reason and uh, I'm not entirely sure why yet but it, it sounds like it worked for you completely. Well, yeah, no, I mean, I, I don't think it's, like, his best work. I still think he's sure. better when he plays a character that's, like, a little off, like he was in Killing of Sacred Deer. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I we actually, I think, are more in line than you think. The only cri- main criticism I have is that I s- kind of wish we got a little more in- insight into why the guys actually did it. I feel like the but reason I, why You know what? Was... I think that's the point, is that they won't, they can't even articulate why. We get sure, this... no, I, I can yeah. get that, but I feel like, I get that for the main two characters, but I feel like the supporting two characters are kind of brushed off. Like, oh, they're in the heist, and like you kind of get their idea, but like they feel like 
they definitely feel like secondary to the uh, main characters, which makes sense. But I, I just kind of wish we got to know more about like Blake Jenner and I forget the other guy's name. I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, Jared Abramson. Yeah, um, I just feel like it. Just feel like their characters. They just kind of go along out. with it. But yeah. I wonder if that's really how it went down, or I wonder why. You're, you're right. They they really don't flesh out like why it was so easy. I think they they probably just cut it out for efficiency. So. Right. That's what I mean. Like yeah. I, I figured that's the case, but they did that for efficiency. But I think it kind of robs the movie of some of its dramatic potential, which is but whatever. I, do, I, I think it works fine just because it is a very ambiguous movie across the board. Ambiguous in the sense of like, you're trying to get into their heads, but obviously like you can't really trust what any of them are saying, like the real people. And it's well, kind of a, it's almost a meta commentary on you can't really trust movies that are based on a true story. Um, because yeah. yeah, like who, who was the person telling the truth? I mean, they literally show scenes switching back and forth between no, this scene happened in a car. No, actually it was at a party. So like the movie kind of goes back and forth and I kind of dug like that, that felt different. That felt like it was trying to say something new. Yeah. That was one of the best scenes in the film was that like that scene where they're talking about like going to like oh we're at like a party no we were driving and they kind of go back and forth with it and then they actually have like the one actor and the subject in the car together and at first at first glance you're like it's not really consequential it doesn't really change like the truth of the situation like that's when they decide to do the heist but it is consequential in the way of like who's to say like any of this is true (laughs) you know any of this stuff leading up to the stuff we know to be true yeah for sure i mean I, I will say, though, that I think for a film that's trying to, like, dive a little deeper into the characters, I think that's one instance where the movie gets kind of robbed of its potential as far as, like, being a piece of entertainment and also, like, a pretty in-depth look at why people do these kind of things. I think it, it, it doesn't really reach the full depth of its potential, but I do think it is very well done. I especially think the editing is really impressive. Oh, absolutely. I think, I think especially in the high scene, the, that's some of the best editing I've seen all year. Um I thought that was yeah. really impressive, and I was really taken by the performances. I I don't really agree with your uh, dismissal of uh, Barry <laughs> Keenan, but I I will say that I don't think he's like this is not one of his best performances, but I do think he did a good job here. Though it is definitely Evan Peters' film. All right. Um, yeah. So, and overall, I did enjoy yeah. the film. I'm between a B and a B plus. Um, I'm going to give it a high B. I'm I, a high B as well. Here, yeah. I, there's a lot here. I think that's worth recommending. I don't love the film entirely. I think it has flaws, but. I think it's worth watching. I think people who check it out, especially I think younger audiences, are going to get a lot out of it. It's a good, it's a good primer for like yes. if you watch this, then you can start to watch some of the films that inspired it and get something out yeah. of those films too. Yeah, I would love to see uh, the guy who was here before Sam Nolan before Jeff Goldblum came into the picture. Yeah. Um, what he thinks of the movie? Yeah, this is one I actually really recommend to you, uh, Sam, if you're listening. Um, yeah. wherever you are <laughs> um, if, if, if I'm allowed to return then uh, <laughs> yeah I, I have been wanting to see this um, unfortunately it's just like I, I don't know if anyone cares but um, every week what I have to do is I have to watch like five or six movies for my podcast plus whatever I want to see in theaters I plus whatever's see. expiring off of Filmstruck plus just what I want to watch just on a, on a whim you basically so, watch like twenty movies in a week, don't you? I I would like to, um, <laughs> but then you got that sleep. Sleep just gets in the way. But uh, yeah, yeah, sleep uh, finds a way. <laughs> I will say, yeah, I mean, it's not a must see by any means, but I do think you'll get a lot of it, yeah, Sam. If you get, I would put it on your list. Yeah, it, it sounds really interesting, so I am curious, especially 
um, considering some of the some of the inspirations you mentioned, a lot of which I'm a fan of. Yeah. All right, well, that'll do it for our mini-reviews. Really long episode, but uh, I think the content's good, so uh, worth it. Yeah. Let's uh, finish out. We'll do this one pretty fast. Uh, here are the movies coming out next week. I'm just going to breeze through these for, for your sake. Uh, the first Purge comes out on July 4th. Uh, this is, of course, the prequel to the Purge movies, as you all know. Um, it's going to take us back to the very first time the Purge ever happened. Uh, I'm not super excited about this one. I don't really love the Purge movies, but... Uh, I don't know. Do you do you like these movies at all? Well, I, I know we've talked about it a little bit. Um, I want to like them. <laughs> I I think they're kind of intriguing in a way that like they're somewhere between like actually decent commentary and just like dumb schlocky horror fun. Yeah, I think like, they never. Right. I think these films have never quite found that balance. At least the three I've seen, like they've got some of them gotten close. I, I would say the third one's probably the best one at doing that because that came out in 2016 yeah, that was the like, election year yeah yeah but they're very i mean i i think it's a writing that really kind of holds these back like it's a it's a film that needs like another person to come in and inform them and beyond the person who uh wrote and directed the first three james so DeMonico, i know the new director he's james monaco is the one who's made the series and he he writes the screenplays so yeah, yeah I, and I think this movie it's written by him but a different director and i would yeah. have switched it i think he can keep directing him i wish a different writer came in and, and punched it up all right point well made um also coming out uh ant-man and the wasp as we already mini reviewed that'll be coming out july 6th uh so next friday so it's it's a weird schedule with july 4th weekend and everything um we'll have the first purge coming out that day but then ant-man and the wasp and the rest of these will be coming out uh, in wide release and uh yeah the, the definitely for all you marvel fans that might be one worth checking out uh, also, sorry to bother you. Hits limited release, and we're going to be talking oh, about that okay. on next week's show. Yeah, so sorry to bother you. Uh, I know Kimber Myers really loves this film. I don't want to say love; she really likes it. At least you might love. Yeah, it. she's a big fan. Yeah, I'm not. I think it's kind of a terrible movie. Um, so next week's conversation is going to be fantastic. I think. <laughs> um, I can't wait to see this movie. I've I've been so hyped. It was on my summer movie preview. Yeah, uh, list. yeah, pretty I, high up. I, I, I respect this movie a lot. I think that it's it's people who love movies should go see this. Uh, it's from Boots Riley. He's a musician turned filmmaker. This is his first film. I, I just think as a movie it doesn't work, but as an experiment in like political commentary, not political, it, as an experiment in like what you can do with film, like and how things are structured and how far you can go with a premise. It totally works in that respect. Uh, I, I think that it's like a post postmodern kind of film almost. Um, wow, it's going to be a good conversation. And uh, obviously, the Keith Stanfield is like he, he's I, there's nothing he's been in that I don't like. Even even Death Note, that Netflix movie, he somehow is like the thing about that movie that makes it work to an extent. Uh, not to say that it works, but him in it is fantastic. Oh, uh, and, uh, Tessa Thompson as well. I Tessa Thompson is she. She obviously like is just so much of why the the movie is better than i think it has any right to be i think the, the movie really only suffers from writing it doesn't suffer from cinematography it doesn't suffer from performances um it's, it's interesting i think a lot of people are going to love it though and i, I think this is going to be it's it, i wonder if it's going to be i don't want to compare it to rocky horror picture show but i wonder if it's going to be that kind of event movie that like people realize that it's just structurally incoherent but they're still going to love it because the things in it are so sparkly and kind of hard not to love. So, uh, yeah, sorry to bother you. 
Uh, and then, of course, Whitney, which Will you already saw. That's the this is the documentary about the life and music of uh, Whitney Houston, who passed away. Uh, I think about eight years ago or something like that. Seven years ago. Yeah, I mean, she died. Um, I think it was 2011, maybe 2012. Hmm. Uh, I believe it was February of 2012. So yeah, the movie explores her life. Um, I didn't really get a chance to talk about it, but I did see it. It's uh, it's a good documentary, and I think it's going to win a lot of people over. It's really powerful, and it's definitely a movie that has a lot to say about her life. Um, some revelations as well that some fans might find shocking. But um, mm. yeah, I mean, it's definitely. It's. I wish I could talk about it more because I have more to say. But um, yeah, no, I, I hope people check that movie out. I'm definitely going to see this one. Um, I will always love Whitney. Um, all right, well, that'll do it for us. Oh, I was trying to avoid that. Okay, so well, that'll do it for us this week on Cinemaholics. Thanks for bearing with us for an extra long episode. Uh, don't forget, uh, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher. Thank you so much to everyone who's been leaving reviews and ratings, sending us emails. We've gotten so much support from every one of you in the last few weeks. We really appreciate it. We want to do uh, some kind of uh, feedback segment uh, in the coming weeks, collecting everything that you've sent that we haven't said out loud on the show yet. Um, and of course you can always hang out with us on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, you can go to the show notes to find links to all of our social pages, or you can email us anytime directly cinemaholicspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, send us your personal and professional emails, uh, whatever you may have in mind. And with that, we'll see you next week. Uh, from the internet, California, I'm John Agroni. And for the internet, Pennsylvania, I'm Wash. And from the internet, Colorado, I'm Sam. Sam, you're and- back. Where's Jeff? Yes. <laughs> and from the internet, California. From the internet. What? Uh, uh, Jurassic Park. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just Jeff. We'll, we'll see you next yes. time, Jeff. <laughs> oh, farewell. Farewell.